one more thing I announced this last week, but it's still applicable. If you'd like to get a pre-publication copy of the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, it, the book won't be out for a little bit. It'll probably be out, I hope, Rosh Hashanah time. But it's, um, I think it's a very important book. It's, uh, I spent a, a fortune of time going through it. It's, um, again, the reason why it's called The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make is because um, we all make them. We all make them, and even after I wrote the book, I make them. So, um, But it's really, I, I very much recommend it. I think you'll find it very practical, very very down-to-earth, and very real eights in terms of how to improve your marriage, how to really change it. And I, I cannot tell you how many people have told me that they've benefited tremendously from it. Really, it's a lot of it is based on some of the previous marriage seminars and uh, et cetera I've given, but I think it was it's put together in a much more clear and comprehensive manner. So if you would like a copy of the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, the pre-publication copy, again, it won't be in the stores until Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. If you would like a copy, go to the schmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, and on the homepage banner, you'll see a section, just click it, and you'll be able to purchase it, and it's uh, Amazon print-on-demand. It's printed and sent to you. There are no copies. There are no co- I mean, there are copies, but uh, again, it hasn't been published yet. It won't be published for a good number of months. If you'd like to get a hold of a pre-publication copy, that's the way to do it. Um, okay, again, at com. So again, please feel free at any time to <coughs> type in questions. Uh, again, when we finish, I'm going to take questions, uh, hopefully, um, hopefully live. Josh, Shalom Aleichem. Hi. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, okay, so let's get started. The Jewish nation is unique amongst all the people, and because we have a very lofty and exalted status, we also have various mitzvahs that apply to us, that apply to no one else. But particularly when the base of Migdish is built, and particularly when we're living in our land as we're supposed to, we're expected to be on an extraordinarily high madrega, very high level. One of the manifestations of that high level is <clears throat> certain behaviors are not accepted whatsoever, one of which is Lashon Hara. And in the time of the Mishkan, the time of the Beis Migdash, Shemitz Hashem, the Beis Migdash will be rebuilt. If a person spoke Lashon Hara, they got Saras. Saras was a... On the outside, it might look something like a skin disease, but it was actually a state of Tumah. And there were various things that had to happen for this person to get back his status of being a full member in the Jewish nation. First of all, he had to leave the Machina, he had to go outside, he had to separate. And there was an entire process whereby he did tshuva, and eventually he was purified. One part of the purification process, the Torah says, that Tziva Korim Lakach Metahir, the coin takes for the one who is being matar, two birds, two chayas tohoros, two birds that are tohor, and these two birds, there's an entire process done to be matahir, to purify the person at saras. Rashi explains why is it that particularly birds are used, explains Rashi, because the guy in Lashon Hara. Why is it that you get saras? Because you speak Lashon Hara. Well, there are other reasons in this particular case, it was for Lashon Hara. And therefore, since the Goyim come for Lashon Hara, <clears throat> what is Lashon Hara? Dvarim, just blabbering, just jabbering. Therefore, it's appropriate that birds should be part of the atonement. Since birds jabber, they chirp, they prattle. <clears throat> since that's what birds do, therefore it's appropriate to atone for his sin. What was his sin? It was jabbering, patter, just loose mouth, loose lips. Therefore, it's appropriate that birds, which also do the same, should be part of the Torah process. And that's how Rashi explains why it is that the two birds are part of the purification process. Now, the only problem with this Rashi is that if you think about it, it's very, very difficult to understand. Because human speech and bird calls are extraordinarily different. If you go out on a spring day and you hear the chirps, the warbles, the various sounds... What you hear is an endless stream of sounds, but that's all they are, mechanical sounds. Some will be warning sounds, some will be mating signals, but they're repetitive, they're rote, they're extraordinarily simple in their meaning and in what they're communicating. But that's not human speech. Human speech is incredibly complex. Human speech is something that's capable of describing feelings, emotions, attitudes, approaches, worldviews. 
Human speech is this incredibly complex version of communication whereby one human being conveys to another human being entire worlds of understanding. How could you compare that to the rote mechanical noises that a bird will make? But it's really more than that. If you want a description of Adam, the Torah gives us a description of man. Hashem blows into man who is offered in Adama, Vayipak Ba'av of Nishmas Chaim, via Adam la Nefesh Chaya. And man was a Nefesh Chaya. The Targum Unclus describes it. What, is that, what does that mean? The Ruach Mamala. Once Hashem blew into this form of man, the Neshama, and now man was communicative, man was a speaker, man was a talker. The definition of man, as opposed to animals, is his higher level of ability to think, his higher level of ability to perform, which is almost defined by speech. You see, speech is not just a way of conveying concepts, it's actually a way of formulating ideas and thoughts. There's an expression that's often used, most people become aware of your opinion at the same time you do when you speak it, meaning, unfortunately, we often sort of create our theories of life on the fly, but the point is, when I speak, I'm not just conveying information, I'm actually forming my thoughts, creating clarity in my understanding, and how could you compare that to tweeting, tweeting, singing of birds? There's no comparison whatsoever. Lashon Hara is not just a mechanical rote speech. Why then does Rashi say that it's appropriate for, to bring birds, because just like Lashon Hara is just prattle, just chirping, so too you bring the birds which prattle, which chirp. They seem to have no connection one to the other. And to understand what this Rashi is sharing with us, I'd like to dig in a little bit more into this thing called Lashon Hara and understand what it is. And let's begin with a very basic definition. The Rambam and Ochus defines for us what is Lashon Hara. Hamasaper Dvarim, one who tells over things that if they're heard, one person to another cause a person damage. Whether that damage is in his body, in his money, even just words that cause him pain. And words that hurt, words that damage, that's the definition of Lashon Hara. Now as an aside, before we even get into what Lashon Hara is, it has to be true. If it's any element of falseness, it's not Lashon Hara. It's a different problem. It's Motsi Shemra. But Lashon Hara by definition means stories, words that are true, that hurt another person, whether it be in his money, whether it be in his financial position, whether it be in his social standing, whether it be words that just cause him pain in any way. They denigrate, they disparage, they malign, defame. Any manner of such stories is called Lashon Hara. Now, when you think about it, you'll realize that much of what we speak about often falls into that category. We talk about things that people did, things that people said, things that happened to them. Any such story that puts another human being in a bad light, that puts a Jew in a different light, automatically is in the category of Lashon Hara. All it has to do is damage his reputation, his standing, what people think about him. Automatically it's in that category. And I'd like to share with you some examples because even though we're somewhat aware, I think it bears sort of focusing on. Let's say you and I are having a conversation. And I mentioned to you, you know, I don't know if you heard this, but uh, so-and-so's business is uh, it's not it's kind of going down south pretty quickly. Now that's not Lashon Hara, right? I'm telling you a true fact. I'm just telling you that his business is headed south. Why is that Lashon Hara? Until it turns out that that is financially ruinous to him. Why? Because either he can't get a bank loan, or he loses customers, or it just damages his reputation. By the way, people are very, very careful about what other people think about them. Let's say I tell you a little story. You know, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but uh, so-and-so is having a little shalom bias problem. They're, they're fighting. That's not Lashon Hara, right? Well, it sure is, because any words that damage a person's standing, what people think about that person, a person's reputation... I tell you, as a kid with emotional problems, that's not Lashon Hara, right? Well, it sure could be. Because again, if my words cause damage, cause harm, <clears throat> cause a loss of reputation or standing to a person, automatically it's in the category of Lashon Hara. If I tell you he has a temper, he's arrogant, he's stingy, self-centered, he's li- but it's true. It's absolutely true. And that's exactly why it's Lashon Hara. 
because all of those things will come back to haunt him, come back to hurt him, and regardless, even if they don't, they're highly degrading. And how do you know whether that's true or not? There's a very simple litmus test. You're talking about another person. What's the quickest way to stop any Lashon Hara? When the guy himself shows up, you're talking about so-and-so and so-and-so, and so he shows up, oh, uh, now what happened? Why did you suddenly clam up? Why did you suddenly change the topic? Because if he were here, you never would have said it. Why? Because it's really not nice. It's degrading, it's debasing, it's disparaging, it's hurting his reputation, his standing, and if he were here, you would never do it. As a matter of fact, if you'd like to understand on one level what Lashon Hara is, imagine I have... Uh, my invisibility cloak. Okay, I read a little bit too much Harry Potter. I have my invisibility cloak, and I go invisible. And I'm in the base medrash, and I see and one guy opens a safer, and when he looks the other way, I close the safer. He goes, hey, who did that? And, I, and then I go to another guy, his safer's this way, I turn around, hey, who did that? And all day long I'm doing these kind of cute little things, but then I decide to step it up a little bit, I see a guy walking by, stick my foot out, trip, he falls. <laughs> I see another guy walking by, boom, I punch him. The joke no longer is funny. Why? Because that's hurtful. When you're hurting another human being, when you punch him, when you kick him, when you trip him, that's very, very nasty. Explains the Chavetz Chaim, that's exactly what Lashon Hara is. Maker re'eu b'seser, the Torah defines it. One who hurts his friend, b'seser, in hiding. I damage my friend in hiding. Why is it in hiding? Because he's not here. Believe me, if he were here, I never would tell the story. But it's because he's not here, and that's why I tell it, that's exactly when you know that it's Lashon Hara. And I'd like to share with you one very important observation. Lashon Hara is forbidden. It's a full love in the Torah. Loselech Rachel Ba'amecha is a full losase, the equivalent to any other prohibition, the same as eating treif, the same as wearing shatnas, the same as many, many other prohibitions in the Torah. Lashon Hara is absolutely forbidden. So here's the question. Largely, we know that. Yet, I'm also embarrassed to say, we, unfortunately, we speak Lashon Hara. So here's the question. I don't eat treif. I won't go into a McDonald's. I will not wear shatnas. I'm not driving my car on Shabbos. But why is it that Lashon Hara suddenly is different? Any other Avera in the Torah I take very, very seriously. But Lashon Hara, and the question is why? And I'd like to share with you the whys behind it. The first reason why we speak Lashon Hara, I think, is because we just don't see it as damaging. It's just stories. I'm just sharing an interesting anecdote. It's just a cute story. And we don't see the damage that it causes. And yet, Chavitz Chaim explains over and over through the Sefer, and it's very worthwhile learning Shemir Salashon, how words come back to haunt you. And I want to give you an example. This example never actually happened, but much of it could have happened. I remember very clearly, when I was in fourth grade, my brother and I were waiting for the bus, and somehow there was a pack of matches that were on the floor. I picked the pack up, and I put it in my pocket. And and again, being a fourth grader, sometime during class, I got bored, I went to the bathroom, and I took out the matches, and I lit a match, and I lit a a piece of paper, dropped in the toilet, lit another, lit a piece of paper, put in the toilet, and that's what I did for a few minutes. Okay, about 20 minutes later, I get a call to the principal's office, you're suspended. Apparently another child had seen me, and I don't know what they reported, but all I know is I was invited not to be in school for a week. Okay. Now, I also remember very vividly to this day, getting on the bus after my week of suspension. I got on the bus, and it felt like every single eye on that bus was peering into the essence of me. There's that Schaefer kid. There's that kid. Okay, now, I forgot this incident, and nothing really came of it, but let's play it out for a minute. Let's pretend that it didn't just end there. Let's imagine that there are some ladies who are talking about what they heard. And uh, so let's imagine we have a Mrs. Schwartz. And Mrs. Schwartz calls up Mrs. Levy and says, oh, Did you hear about the Schaefer kid? No, no, what? Well, I don't know if he's playing with matches or trying to start a fire. What? Trying to start a fire? That's terrible. So Mrs. Levy then calls Mrs. Cohn. Mrs. Cohn, did you hear? I don't know if the Shaper kid was trying to start a fire or actually burn down the school. What? Burning down the school? So Mrs. Cohn calls Mrs. Eisenhower. Mrs. Eisenhower, 
I don't know if you heard this, but the, the Shiva Kedano is trying to burn down the school and all the children in it, or with all the, out the children in. What? He should be in a psychiatric ward. Okay. Now, imagine 15 years later. There's a conversation, and someone wants to read a shidduch with this Schaefer fellow. I heard he's a very fine fellow. He's learning a base medrash. He's now in his 20s, and he's a masmid, a fine fellow. I want you to consider it, think about it. So that young woman's parents make some phone calls, and it happens to be that they come in contact with a fellow who was in my fourth grade class. And the mother of that child says, well, I don't want to scare you, but I just I know that he spent some time in the psychiatric ward, so I just want you to be aware of it. Now, folks, this didn't actually happen, because Baruch Shem, I am married happily, and even have married kids, etc. But you understand, even though I'm being facetious, that exact sort of tale happens. You tell a story, and then someone tells that story over, and it gets repeated and repeated, and you ever notice that the story gets embellished and improved and changed, but what happens is, the person who is on the receiving end of that story hears it, tells it over, tells it over, tells it over, and someone's reputation is being damaged, is being hurt, and it is forbidden. The reason why it's forbidden is because it's really damaging. It's really hurtful. It's really nasty. And if you'd like an illustration of what Lashonar really is, I'll make it very simple. Imagine you go to a shul dinner. There are 300 people, a very nice affair. And that night you come home, and a friend of yours calls and says, I don't know if you heard this, but I, 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 I'm not sure, but I think the food was trafe. And make another few phone calls. It's true. The caterer blew it. All of the meat was trafe. Absolutely trafe. You're aghast. A shul dinner. <clears throat> Hundreds of people ate trafe. It's horrible. It's terrible. Oh, my goodness. There'd be an uproar. An uproar. Okay. Case number two. Shul dinner. 300 people. But no trafe food served. But a speaker gets up to tell a story. And part of the story is a degrading part. Puts someone down a little bit. Or t- reveals a fact that other people didn't know. And puts them in a bad light. Would everyone be aghast? Oh my goodness, a terrible thing? The answer is we should be. Because it's the equivalent it's as bad as eating trafe, and if 300 people hear it and they tell it over again, believe me, it's much worse than eating trafe because it's hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of Averas, each one the equivalent of eating trafe. But the reason why we don't realize it is because we forget that it's actually forbidden. We forget that it's really wrong. Words that hurt, words that damage, whether it be a person's reputation, his standing, his position... Any such words are exactly in the category of Lashon Hara. But the first reason why I believe we speak Lashon Hara is because we don't see the damage. We don't recognize it. It's just a story. Come on, it's cute. So the first thing we have to recognize is the damage involved. But the second reason why we speak Lashon Hara is because we don't really see it as forbidden. It's kind of a thing like exercise, diet. You should eat, you should work out. But, you know, I'm not saying it's like a horrible thing. I'm not sure. Come on, it's not really... Not really like usser, right? Not like really forbidden, right? And if you don't think I'm right, I'll share with you just a very simple example. Imagine you have a couple who are looking for a the right high school for their child, and they're looking for an out-of-town school. They check out this school, this school. They finally find the perfect school. Perfect for their son, the right environment, right rebeim. It's a perfect school, except for one problem. The mother finds out that a number of the boys, in fact, quite a number of the boys, smoke. <clears throat> that night, the mother and the father have a conversation. Listen, it's a good school, it's a per- but smoking it's, it could be a lifelong habit. It could be so dangerous. The mother says, that's it, I'm, we can't send them. And they decide not to send their child to that school. What would you say to that couple? Now, you might agree with them, you might disagree, but it's certainly something we could see as reasonable. Okay, let's take the same scenario. A couple looking for a school for their child. They find the perfect school. Absolutely great rebellion, great environment. Just one problem. The boys there speak Lashon Hara. The mother says to the father, what, we can't, Lashon Hara is a lifelong habit. It's, it's terrible. We can't send our son there. Obviously, that conversation never happened. Why? Because smoking is really dangerous. That can kill you. Lashon Hara, listen, come on, it's not. But you understand, it says the Chavetz Chaim, that's exactly the point. We look at it like it's not really wrong. It's not really forbidden. It's not a sin. It's not like eating a hamburger. I'd like to share with you it's a lot worse than eating a hamburger. Because if you eat a hamburger, likely you're going to be over one losa, say, if you eat two kazesim, two, three, but that's about it. 
But as we'll see in just a moment, when you speak Lashon Hara on a regular basis, you could be over countless numbers of Averas. And the Chavetz Chaim says, and this is how you understand a very perplexing Gemara. Gemara tells us about Azara, Gilei Rias, and Shichas Dami, the three cardinal sins, idol worship, illicit relations, and murder. Those are the three big sins. And the Gemara also tells us that Lashon Hara is worse than all of them. Ask the Chavetz Chaim, it's not true. Idol worship is Chaim Misa. You have to give up your life for it. Illicit relations, Asians, you have to give up your life. Murder, you have to give up your life. Lashon Hara is forbidden, but it's nowhere near the three cardinal sins. How does the Gemara tell us that Lashon Hara is worse than the three cardinal sins? It explains the time there's one key difference between Lashon Hara and those three. And that is, every time you engage in Lashon Hara, you're going to be engaged in countless Averas. Number one, for me to speak Lashon Hara is forbidden. But number two, for you to listen to Lashon Hara is also forbidden. And for you to accept Lashon Hara is also forbidden. So immediately, the minute I tell a story, I immediately have been over, A, L'Seh L'Chrochel B'Amecha, two, L'Fnei Iver, on two separate Averas. L'Fnei Iver, for you to listen. L'Fnei Iver, for you to accept. So before you begin, automatically there are three Averas that I'm over any time that I speak Lashon Hara. But it really cuts a lot deeper than that. Loving your neighbor like a friend. If your neighbor was here, you'd never say it. Why are you saying? Because he's not here. You violate the Judge your neighbor favorably. Anytime you speak Lashon Hara, invariably, there was some element of not giving him the favor of the doubt. Do not oppress your friend. Oppress your friends means do not hurt him. Do not cause him pain. He may not know it now, but when he finds out later, it's surely going to be, go in the ways of Hashem, have good midos. Explains the Chavetz Chaim that there are 17 losases and 14 assays that a person can violate. He says, granted, it's unlikely that you'll get all 17 and 14 in one story, but he says it's invariable that you'll be over 5, 6, 8, 9, 10 of these averas. And if you'd like to know how the Gemara says Lashon Hara is far worse then even of Arazara, Gilaras, and Shrikh Dhamma, the three cardinal sins, <clears throat> Rabbeinu Yona explains to us something very, very powerful. He says, if you take a thin thread, easy to break, but you wind that thin thread with another one, and wind that with another, and wind that with another, and then you start with another thread, another thread, another thread, until you get a rope that's an inch thick. And that rope can hang a man, that rope can hold back a wild horse. Lashanar is not one thread. It's not one Avera, and it's countless Averas each time. But each part of the story is a separate losase. But it's not one losase. You see, when I eat that cheeseburger, it's one losase for each kazayah. She'll tell me there's two, three losases. But when I speak Lashonara, invariably I've violated countless different losases and assays. It may not be 17 and 14, but it's a whole lot more than one or two, five, six, eight, nine, ten. But it's every word of the Lashonara. But here's where things get really, really dangerous. When I told a story to you, you then told the story to somebody else, who then told the story to somebody else, who then told the story to somebody else, and before you know it, the chain goes on and on and on, and the damage to reputations is incredible. And explains all the time in the name of the Rabbeinu Yonah, that's exactly why the Gemara says it's worse than even idol worship, illicit relations, and murder because there are countless number of sins that you're going to be engaged in. If you don't train your tongue to be silent, if you don't train yourself not to speak derogatory words, what's going to happen is invariably you're going to be over hundreds, thousands, multitudes of thousands on a regular basis, and the rope gets thicker and thicker and thicker. Yes, it's not murder, but how many people are you going to kill? How many married women are you going to live with? How many times are you going to bow down to an idol? but you'll be over-violating tens of thousands of Averas on a regular basis if you don't learn to guard yourself from Lashon Hara. But there's one more element to Lashon Hara that's very, very compelling. Chavetz Chaim says you also violate the Torah says, do not cause a chil Lashem. Explains Chavetz Chaim, anytime you speak Lashon Hara, you're making a chil Lashem. Why? Because you see, let's say I'm hungry, 
and I eat something not treif. Okay, listen, I love Hashem, I love the Torah, but I'm a weak person, I, I gave in. I do sins. Okay, I, I shouldn't, but there's no desire, there's no taiva, there's no lust to speak Lashon Hara. And why do we speak? Because it's prata. We just say, we're just, one thing we're talking, filling the air, filling the space. And I'd like to share with you that's exactly what Rashi means. The vast majority of our Lashon Hara is not intentional, malicious, trying to destroy someone's reputation. The vast majority of our Lashon Hara is just speaking, prattling, just telling a story, we don't think about it. The tongue just starts wagging before the brain is put into gear, the mouth moves, and we're just prattling. Explains Rashi, that's why the kapara, the atonement for Lashon Hara, is the birds, because the bird prattles, it chirps, it just wrote mechanical, just sounds. That's basically what the vast majority of our Lashon Hara is. Not planned malicious, not attempts to destroy people's reputations, but it does the same damage. It's just done mechanically, and it's done by rote, but the bottom line is it's damage, and that's why Rashi says the birds are the perfect atonement, because they teach us why it is that we speak Lashon Hara. And I believe this Rashi is critical and pivotal to understand, because it's one of the simplest Averas to eliminate. You see, just like there's no Chilashem because there's no desire, that means all I have to do to stop it is become conscious. If I become aware, if I become cognizant of the fact that this is forbidden, it's damaging, it's hurtful, it's really wrong, just that understanding will make the key difference. The problem is, how do I stay aware? And Chavetz Chaim gives us one piece of advice. And much like any area that you want to work on, the most efficient, best way to work on it is learn the halachas. Learn the halachas of Lashon Hara. Pick up a Shemir Shalashon. There's on the Shmu site, there's an entire series that deals with Lashon Hara. There's even a daily part of it that you could look right on the site. But learn some element of Lashon Hara, and if you learn even a few minutes every day, suddenly your life changes. Why? Because you become cognizant, you become aware. And you become a very different person. It doesn't seem very different, but it's radically different because all of that damage that you were doing till then, suddenly you're not doing. But I'd like to share with you that probably the reason why it's most difficult for us, maybe of any generation, to actually be careful about Lashon Hara, is because we're living in a time when information is so accessible, so available. Communications in our day has become so incredibly fast and strong. But I'd like to share with you, that comes at a very real cost. And that is because the vast majority of the news that you're going to watch on the best news portal in the world is going to be negative. How do I know that? Because they do studies that show that 90% of news stories have a negative twist to it. 90%. Sensational stories are 95% of media headlines. That's the Guardian did a study. Um, there was a very interesting, there was a website that wanted to test this. What if they stopped showing bad news? Now this is a website in Russia, a news website, and they decided for one day to show only positive spins, no negative news on the website. And what they found was, for that day that they showed only positive spin, no negative news, they lost 66% of their viewership for that day. People just left and didn't come back. They were gone. There's no bad news. And as ironic as it sounds, they do studies that show bad news catches 30% more attention, and we seem to be gluttons for car crashes, murder, disease, outbreaks of war. We're hungry for it. And the news media has produced it for us on a regular basis. And what we become so accustomed to is what the world accepts as normal. But when you open a headline and they destroy a person's reputation, they caught so-and-so, they did so-and-so, this one was found, what you're reading is debasing, derogatory, nasty news. Now you may say it's not forbidden because it's only about a Jew that you're not allowed to speak Lashon Hara. It's nasty. It's hurtful. When you destroy a person's reputation, when you destroy a person's honor, it's really rude. It's really wrong. It's really nasty. I don't say we should go back to this but do you know in the United States of America, in the 1700s, in the 1800s, there was a concept that if you stepped on a man's honor, he would challenge you to a duel. Because how dare you insult me in public? And if you think that this is just a joke, you should just know that Abraham Lincoln, 
who's considered one of the finest leaders of men, who's considered one of the most adroit politicians, once got challenged to a duel because he basically destroyed a man in public, destroyed his reputation, the man challenged him to a duel, and a duel meant a duel to the death. Now again, I'm not saying we should go back to that, but there was a time when you understood that if you destroyed a person's reputation, you cut into that, well, you can't, you can't, it's not liable, can't sue me, it's true. I understand, but you just destroyed a person. You just destroyed his reputation for what reason? Because you knew the information. You knew the knowledge. Not for public service, not because you're helping people, for one reason, because you wanted to smear a person, you wanted to ruin his reputation, and it's news, and it sells, and it's okay. And when you read this stuff day in and day out, you become so accustomed to it that it almost sounds normal. Well, I'd like to share with you, I don't care. It is not normal, and it is not regular. I am not a fan of the mayor of New York City. I am not a fan of the governor of New York City. However, when I open the post, and I don't do this too often, I assure you, but when they rip into the essence of de Blasio, but not because of his governance, not because of his laws, not be, but because of his personality, and they destroy his reputation, and if you read the stuff that they write about, it's just nasty, cruel, and evil. And again, I am no friend of his, and I do not believe in his policies. But nevertheless, you can't just debase a man. You can't just destroy his reputation. Well, you can't sue me for libel, because it's true, and you have to... The whole concept is so ugly, so disgusting. And I'm sorry to say this, but this is probably another reason why it's a very good idea to shut yourself off from the news. I'd like to share with you, very, very little good comes from watching the news in our world. Forget the immorality. Forget the absolute insanity of morals and conduct and and the insane things. Would you like to understand the damage that happens to a person? First of all, one out of ten people in the United States of America check the news every hour. Ten percent of people check every hour, check the news. But when you begin to read about the vast amount of carnage and destruction and damage and you read things what you begin to realize is it's not just regular it's not healthy 87% of COVID-19 coverage in 2020 was negative even when there were positive signs even when the vaccine was coming out even when there were countries who showed that they were not subject their vast segments of their population were not getting it that didn't make the headlines 63% of kids between the age of 12 to 18 say watching the news makes them feel bad. Nice little survey. But I'd like to share with you something that I just recently read that's incredible. When they have major calamities, when there's a, let's say, unfortunately we have, you know, school shootings, or you have tremendous, you know, bombs going off in different places, So obviously, to the people in that area, it's considered a trauma, and it's incredible. They did a study in Boston. You remember the Boston Marathon when the bomb exploded there? They studied the population in Boston who were immediately in that area, and they studied the people in New York, and what they were doing was looking for trauma effects. And what they found was no distinction, because the people in Boston who lived through it, were on the scene, were traumatized, But the people in New York who watched the headlines day after day, hours of seeing the scenes and being there, it had the same impact on them. And from a psychological standpoint, it had the same damage. And that's incredible. When you turn on the news and you watch hour after hour of destruction, of damage, and all you see is bad news, it doesn't bode well. Our point here isn't not to watch the news. The point here is to understand how the Torah expects us to act. A human being is a human being who's worthy of respect, who's worthy of honor. I may not agree with his policies, I may not agree with what he does, but I don't have a right to destroy his reputation. The reason why it's so hard for us not to speak Lashonara is because we're bombarded by that message all day long. You could destroy a person's reputation, destroy who he is, because it's okay. It's all the news that's fit to print. And, my friends, if you have any connection to social media, you'll understand the incredible damage that can be accomplished in but a second. Chavetz Chaim explains, Lashon Hara doesn't have to be speech. You could write it, you could hint it, you could point anything that causes a person's damage, or causing them pain, 
<coughs> causes a loss of standing in the community is Lashon Hara. What that means in plain, simple language is a video comes to you on WhatsApp and you forward it. It's a cute video. Oh, but it didn't make the guy in the video look so good. Oh, what you just did was countless numbers of Averas. Because when you sent it to somebody who sent it to somebody who sent it to somebody, it's beyond your ability to even bring it back. And the Chavetz Chaim says, I'll give you a mushal. If you'd like to understand the real damage of Lashon Hara, <coughs> supposedly the story is that a man, once at retirement, he was apparently at the very end of his life, and he comes to the Chavetz Chaim and said, I, I have to do tshuva. I know that I, I spoke Lashon Hara my whole life. I was a I had a store, I was a merchant, and I spoke to my customers, and anybody came in, I told stories back and forth, it was just, just the way I did business. And I've told hundreds of stories, I can't even count the stories. I want to do tshuva. Chavetz Chaim said, you want to do tshuva, I have a simple way for you to do tshuva. What you have to do is you have to go to the center of town, and you have to bring a cart of pillows. And you take these pillows, and you smash them one by one against the pole in the center of town. And when you do that, come back to me. As the story goes, a man goes to the center of town with his cart of pillows, and he takes one and smashes it, smashes it, smashes it, the feathers start flying, all the boys in town start gathering around, the people start gathering, see this nut and smashing pillows, the feathers are flying, the pillows are smashing all day long, he's smashing his people, laughing, people are mocking, and the man is suffering incredible embarrassment. He turns red, white, every shade, he bangs pillow after pillow after pillow, finally the day is done, he comes at the end of the day, the Chavetz Chaim says, I did it, I did tshuva. Said the Chavetz Chaim, you want to do tshuva? Go collect all the feathers. Go collect all the feathers that spread throughout town. When you tell a story, you can't bring it back, you can't end it. And ultimately, that's the damage, that's the danger of Lashon Hara. I think what Rashi is sharing with us is a profound concept. And that concept is, much like the bird, who just prattles, just chirps, endless, rote, mechanical speak, that's what we do. We tell stories, we don't think about it, we don't realize, we tell stories, and we're deep into it, violating many, many Yisurim. The reason we do it is, A, we don't see it as damaging. But again, the, the Rambam defines Lashon Hara, words that hurt, words that damage. Whether it be a person's reputation, his financial position, <coughs> standing in the community, or just causing pain or embarrassment. Any such words are right away in the category of Lashon Hara. And we don't see it as forbidden, and therefore it's not so bad. But if you understood that it's far worse than a cheeseburger, far worse than a person getting up and telling, <coughs> eating tray food, feeding tray food to an entire shul, would be <coughs> telling a story that goes around the shul. When you understand that, you begin to get a glimpse of why the Torah forbids it. The Torah forbids it because it's nasty, it's hurtful, it's just not the way Jews are supposed to behave. I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, I'm supposed to love my friend. If he was here, I would never say it. Why am I saying it? Exactly for that reason. He's not here. Ah, Makareo Besesa, my invisibility cloak. I can say what I want because no one's around. And there's one final point that I think really sums it all up. The Orchazadikim explains this clearly, and the Chovaz of Ovas parallels it word for word. They say that a certain Chosid was once heard that somebody spoke very, very bad Lashon Hur about him, told a certain story. This chassid was a very pious person, and I don't mean he was a chassid called by the chavetz lovavos, meaning a very, very re- religious, very righteous person. He took a beautiful gift and sent it to the man who spoke lashon hara. And when the man received the gift, asked him, "Why did you send me a gift?" The man who sent the gift said, "Because you gave me a gift, I want to give you back a gift." Explains the chavetz lovavos. Many people when they come to the world to come are going to find schusim on their cheshben that they never did. They'll find tremendous reward for things that they never did. And it, guys, I didn't do this. Why are you giving this to me? Well, someone spoke Lashon Hara about you, and therefore the, some of his schusim came to you. And the opposite. There'll be many things that I've done in this world that were good, and I expect reward for it, but they're not on my calculation anymore. Why? They're taken away because I spoke Lashon Hara about someone else. And the Marpan Lefesh explains why it is. Because we don't think about it this way, but when I damage another person, there's a debt that's owed. And Hashem takes some of the reward that's awaiting for me and gives it to that person to make up for the debt. And the opposite, if someone speaks about me, then they take from him and give it to me. And the Magid Misharim, who was at Malachi, used to learn with the Beis Yosef, 
In the Sefer, he writes that when he sees people speaking Lashon Hara, it's like their mouths open and they're pouring out gold and silver. You could spend so much time working on things, developing and working, and you have so much reward waiting, and you spit it out. You just regurgitate it, you spit it out, and it's gone, and you give it away, and it's one of the most expensive Averas that a person can do, because in a moment, you could violate hundreds of such Averas, and it travels, and it travels, and it travels. And the Tzipor is a perfect example, because it chirps mindlessly. The vast majority of Arlashnar is that way, and I think when you think about it, it becomes much easier to work on. And I want to close with one last observation. It was somewhere in Middle Village, Queens, in the 1980s, when they found a cancer cluster. Cancer clusters were not that unusual, but what was unusual here, it was a number of women who were about 50 years of age, and they all contracted cancer in the lips, in the tongue, and it was highly unusual. They began checking the water, they began checking various things, and they couldn't figure it out. Finally, they traced it back to a source. You see, all of these women who are now middle-aged had worked in a factory, and this factory, the foreman of the factory, was very meticulous. They made watches. And these women were on the production line, and their job was to paint the watch face with radium. Radium is it glows at night. It also happens to be radioactive. That's how they made watches glow back in the 50s. The foreman was very, very meticulous, and he made sure that all of these women would dip the paintbrush into the radium, paint the number, and then lick the paintbrush to make sure that it came to a fine point, dip it back in the radium, and then dip the paint the watch face. Thirty years later, a vast majority of these women came down with lip cancer, with tongue cancer, because radium is radioactive. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute that you're back in the 50s, and you know the results. And you cry out to these women, don't do it, don't put that in your mouth, you're going to cause cancer, don't do it. They would look at you, what are you, crazy, what are you, insane? It's just paint, what are you, what are you making noise about? And explains all the time, that's how we look at Lashon what's the big deal? You tell a story, what's the big deal? If we understood that we're spending all of our world to come, we're giving up so much, but more than that, we're hurting other people, it's damaging, it's really nasty, just because other people do it doesn't make it right. And understanding the damage, understanding how serious the Torah takes it, how is it worse than Avodazar, Gilarai, worse than idol worship? Yes, because you might worship an idol once. But if you're going to tell stories, hundreds and hundreds, tens of thousands of sins on a regular basis, and again, they add up, they build up, and it's the easiest thing to change because all you have to do is become aware, learn the halachas, and you change the way you act. And with that, I'd like to open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. It could be on this topic. It could be on any topic. Uh, I prefer if you're brave enough, if you would raise your hand and ask the question, because that way I get to rest for a moment. Um, and Josh, we're going to give you the floor first. Josh, you have the floor. Hi. Shalom. Can you hear me? I can. Hi. I can. Hi. Perfect. Uh, shalom. Shalom. Thank you. Great share. Um question i have many questions but the first question that comes uh to me in mind is that for example in our business we we go on appointments in order to get like a like i'm a real estate agent and we go on appointments to you know pitch a seller on how to take uh why they should give us their listing instead of giving it to the other five or ten agents that come in Mm-hmm. And so, like, like uh, you're telling your why you're better than this agent, or why you're, you know, you know anything like that. And I feel like that after what I've just heard is that that could that could damage their livelihood because I'm trying to create my own livelihood. So where does that where does that fall into this? Okay, category? That's a very good, very good question, very fine question. Um, I'm hearing the reverb though. If you could, so you could either, yeah. Oh, one second. Yeah. Okay. Good, ready? Okay. So here's the rule of thumb. Okay. And, yeah. If I present to you why I can do a good job, why my 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 service is is superior, how I could service you properly, that's great. As long as I don't put someone else down via doing it, I don't have to discuss the competition. I I can sell this. I can do this. This is what I can provide. This is my reputation. This is what I've done for others. This is what I can provide for you. Anything where I show my abilities. My service in a good light is fine. As long as it's truthful, that's fine. It's when I step over the borderline and I begin 
disparaging the competition. That doesn't have to be part of the conversation. It's not relevant. And not, you know, it, it's, that's exactly the line. Meaning anything, just like, you know, you know the, the Mesil Sharm describes when you sell a product, you're allowed to show the virtues of the product. You're allowed to show exactly why it's good. You don't have to discuss someone else's product. You don't have to discuss why someone else's product doesn't work. <clears throat> the point here is, I offer something. I can sell this. This is my reputation. I've done it before. You don't discuss the other people, and I think you're fine. Oh, yeah, that makes that makes sense. So if, like, others... So to, this is another question I had. Can I ask another one? Please. Um, is that, like, if you find out that uh, others are speaking Lush and Hora about, like, ourselves, like, we find it out, would we look at that as, like, Yesurim? Because you, you mentioned uh, Rebbeinu Yana. Right. So is that, like, Yesurim for transgressions that we've done previously? Or? No. First of all, it might be the best thing in the world for you. First of all, you might be getting schusim, you might get merits, but I'll tell you another little secret also. Most people are sharp enough to pick up that when a salesman begins putting down the competition, he loses a lot of credibility. Because I don't want to hear bad-mouthing, and I'm not interested, and I know myself, if someone starts bad-mouthing competition, all of a sudden I become very suspect. So I would not, number one, understand what they do does not affect you in one way or the other. Number one, the amount of money you're supposed to make, you're going to make. Number two, if they do things that are wrong, it doesn't doesn't permit you to do things that are wrong. But more than that, I believe that most of the time people respect integrity. People respect honesty. People respect a person who is professional and offers a service and presents himself well. But the minute you start disparaging other people, you start crossing the line anyway, leaving religion out of it, leaving God out of it, it starts to smell bad, and all of a sudden you lose a lot of credibility. So from a business perspective, I would recommend you don't do it anyway, forgetting about any of the prohibitions involved. Oh, absolutely. But then, like, about the part about the, the, the yesterday, were you saying that's like, that's like your, like, let's say, for example, I find out about people talking less or about like me, for an example, mm-hmm. would that, would we look at that as that's like yesterday, <laughs> like that's like, we deserve that? Because I think there's some, a part in um, and to heal him about that, about how like we're not we're not supposed to be uh, like, or it's in it's in um, Kohelet actually. I don't know exactly where I have to go back mm-hmm. and find it, but that we would be foolish to like like having chokma is like chokma is like having the wisdom not to treat uh, a bad person or a wicked person as if they're good, right. for example. Um, so I'm just trying to understand like where that all like, like okay. where that all falls in, like okay. if I'm you know. Okay. The Chavos of Olvis says, I'll, I'm going to teach you how to take an insult. I'll, I'll teach you how to take a ranka. When someone ranks you out, someone rips into the essence of you, you're supposed to turn your eyes heavenward and say to Hashem, thank you, Hashem, for revealing a little of my many flaws. I'm supposed to recognize that this person cannot harm me, can't help me, and he's but a messenger. Hashem is sending that message, and that message is for my good. Why? Because it benefits me. Hashem wants me to improve, wants me to work on myself, whatever it may be. But I'm supposed to recognize this human being can't harm me, he can't help me. And there's a message coming me, to me from Hashem. I'm supposed to turn my eyes heavenwards and say, thank you, Hashem, for revealing a few of my many flaws. So that's how you take an insult. So, so okay, easier said than done, though, but okay. All right, Josh, <laughs> nice talking to you. Okay, good. Okay, BP Simon, you have the floor. Yes, you do. Do you? I think you do. Now you do. Shalom Aleichem, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi. Yeah, um, Yeah. so uh, this happens to be uh, people who know me. Uh, this is an area where uh, know that I don't know what it, whether it's at some point I made an active effort to 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 not want to hear his question hara or it's always bothered me on a net level but it it's kind it doesn't make a difference really if if someone starts going down that path of not being interested in lashon hara it becomes part of your nature after a while when people are around you start speaking lashon hara literally if like if i'm at a table and people start speaking i physically feel like i have to go someplace else that's great like that's i great. feel ill it's like, it's like, like you hear the stories, like it's just, you just you feel you feel this, and people who know you know, like, hey, we better not speak this way around him because you don't have to even say anything after a while. They see it around you, like it becomes 
it becomes like an obvious thing. Beyond Pesach, um, that's, you know, one, that's... One of my relatives, I think one of, the, one of the biggest issues we have is now we have Jewish news sources without... Maybe yep. it's lush and hard to say what the names of these sources are. Right. But but we have these sources. Like, we don't, you don't have to go to New York Times. You now have Jewish news sources. So one of these ones that, that, that calls itself a nice Yiddish name, um, mm-hmm. I started telling my relative, I said, why do you just call it what it is? It's the Lush and Hara blog. Yep. So I said, if you want to quote me from this source, just call it what it is, the Lush and Hara blog. So they do. If they ever get a quote from it, quote Lush and Hara blog. You know what ends up happening? They stop quoting from it so often because it sounds bad if they have to say, the Lush and Hara blog said such and such. Because, <laughs> like, I, I, no I, one wants to say they're speaking Lush and Hara. But I said, fine. You quote from me, whatever you want, just, just call it what it is. Call it the Lush and Hara blog. Right. So they don't quote anymore because the Lush and they, they know that if they want to quote it, they say Lush and Hara blog. That's what, right, right. Unfortunately, I, I can't agree more. Some people I, I cannot agree more. I think you're right on target. There are many, many news sources, again, even in the Jewish world, that, that print stuff that's incredibly... That's and outrageous. It's worse because then they, they only pick the Jewish sources. Right, so like, right. Like they're going to filter through all the news and, and, and just only malign. About the Jews. Right, we only going to disparage Jews. We only defame Jews. We don't defame any anyone outside our own faith. So, so you can be sure that this is Lush and Hard. Right. Times, maybe it's about a non-Jew, maybe it's not. But our source will tell you the Lush and Hard about the Jews. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, I, I, yeah. and, and, Yep. And, and now you can get it with WhatsApp. You can get a WhatsApp update. Every time there's a new story, they'll send you a WhatsApp. Uh, and then you can you forward know. it to others. So you can not just yeah. hear Lashonara, you could forward it and send it. Yeah, yeah it's so wonderful. those people, they know, not, they know not to forward those stuff to me, Baruch Hashem. So right, like, you right, know, right. That's, I think it, it, Hashem makes it easier for you over time because if, if you become known as a person who doesn't want to hear this, then people get the hints pretty quickly that not to share it with you. <laughs> right, all right. Okay, and before I end, I just want to mention again, if you would like a copy of... The pre-publication of ten really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. The book is going to come out in Mitzvah Hashem in um, probably sometime around Rosh Hashanah. But pre-publication copies are available. Um, it's I think it's a very practical, very useful uh, marriage book. Josh will tell you all about it. I hope Josh. I'll have to ask you later. To send me an email. Tell me what page you're up to. But if you'd like a copy, just go to the Shmuz.com. That's T H E S H M U Z dot com. And on the banner, you'll see a place to order it. You can just order it from there. Um, again, the 10 really dumb mistakes that very small couples make. If you'd like a pre-publication copy, just go to the schmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, and you can order it from there. I wish you a good Shabbos, and I hope you have much, much atzlacha. Thank you.